Let's uh, start in Psalm 118, if you will. And we're going to read uh, Psalm 118, verse 19, before we get into Mark tonight. And uh, Psalm 118 and verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Lord God, right now we ask you to open up your word to us. Bless us as we seek you, Lord, as we turn our face towards Zion, as we turn our face towards you. Lord God, we just pray that you would uh, fill this room with your spirit. Teach us, Lord, and help us to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 11. I just wanted to make sure you have Psalm 118 in in the frame of mind as we read Mark chapter 11 and verse 21 or 20. And just to recap a little bit before we start reading it. Last week we read the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And if you'll remember, the people laid out the palm branches they, they, as he rode in on that colt of a donkey. And they were singing, saying, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, praise him. And the, the Lord saves. And they were quoting right out of Psalm 118 there as they were saying this. And then he went in, surveyed the temple, left and went back to Bethany because it was late. The next day on his way back to the temple, and Bethany's about a mile away, he, he sees a fig tree and he's hungry and there's no fruit on the fig tree so he curses it and, it, and, uh, and then he uh, uses it as a teaching moment to the disciples, heads into the temple, begins overturning the tables and tells the people in the temple because they had, they had turned it into a, a den of robbers, a den of thieves, and he said, my house which shall be a house of prayer. And you have turned it into a den of robbers. And he rebukes the temple merchants and the whole system that was happening in the temple. Now we, we, we end up in the next day. And so we're, we're Mark 11, verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying, forgive, 
if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, this fig tree withering, I said last week, we'll get into it this week. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about how that fig tree rep- is representative of Israel. Remember, Israel was supposed to be the light to the nations. It's supposed to be uh, the center of, of worship of God. And it's supposed to be producing fruit. But it hadn't been. They had gone into selling things and abusing God's temple and hindering people from worshiping God versus welcoming people to worship God. They, they had made a mockery of, of God by the, the way they had, what they had done to the religious system. And so and the next morning when the disciples see the tree, Peter makes this comment like he's surprised. He's, he's actually shocked that the tree is withered already. Now, i got to tell you, I've been trying to kill my backyard for the last three months because we're going to put in sod and it, it's just like all weeds. That's all I have growing there. And so I, I spray my Roundup and I wait. And, and every, every morning I'm like, okay, is it dead yet? Is it dead yet? And, and so i got to admit, Jesus speaking is a much better form of Roundup. Man, <laughs> but just, I wish that that's how my lawn would work, that it would just wither away. And the amazing thing about it is it not only withered, it'll wither the first thing, and then all of a sudden there's new weeds that pop up, and you've got to spray it again. And I think I've done like four times of Roundup on, on my backyard. But Jesus spoke, and the Peter and the disciples recognize it. And, and they're, they're a little bit shocked. Whoa. This thing is already withered. And so Jesus uses this as a second teaching lesson to the disciples. The first time was about (coughs) Israel and the judgment coming upon Israel because they bore no fruit. And last week we talked about the Christian. How are we bearing fruit? This week, though, Jesus uses it as a second lesson. And he says, have faith in God. Trust in God. Truly, by the way, this word truly in the Bible, when you see it in the ESV, it always is translated truly. And it's amen. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, so when we say amen or amen at the end of a, a, a prayer, we're saying truly or let it come to pass or this is what we want. That's, that's what the word amen means. So amen. <laughs> he will do it. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. You know, this passage has been abused so much over the years. It's either neglected or it's abused. And isn't that the truth with many of the tough teachings of Jesus? We either grab hold of them and abuse them, or we go, I have no idea what Jesus was talking about, so let's just leave it alone. Let's just ignore it. Because there's the common experience of, okay, God, move that mountain. Lift it up and move it. It's not happening. Okay, I don't understand. And then there's the experience of, well, you don't have enough faith, so you're not believing. And, and, there's, and this is actually an abusive form because it's saying that you're not healed because you don't have enough faith, because you don't believe. So if you believed it, you should do it. You know, it's kind of like the, the farmer, three farmers were praying for rain and they're asking God, oh, Lord, please bring rain. We need crops. We need our livelihood. And a man comes by and kind of laughs at him. And they're like, well, why are you laughing? The first one farmer says, it's like, well, I just think I would do it differently. And so they just keep praying. Oh, Lord, they're on their knees praying. And, and then finally the, the third farmer asks him, well, why are you laughing at us? 
And uh, the man says, well, if I were you, I would have gone out and bought an umbrella already. You know, <laughs> that's kind of the, form, the way that a lot of times this verse is, this passage is taught is that, well, if you really believe it, I remember when I was a kid, a man came over to our house and, and uh, it was a friend of my sister's family, her dad. My sister always brought home weird ho- weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but her dad came over and I was homesick. Um, I, I was born with asthma. Turns out my asthma is a product of my dad's exposure to Agent Orange. That's weird. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I, I grew up with asthma and I was homesick. And anytime I got a cold, I had to have asthma and have to be on all the medicines and be up all night running cars all over my mom, you know. Uh, <laughs> totally wired. So boys aren't hyper enough. Then you got to give them adrenaline and asthma medicines and then they're like off the walls. But anyway, this man comes over and he says, all right, do you, do you want to be healed? I'm like, well, yeah, sure I want to be healed. I don't, I don't want to have asthma. And he said, well, do, will you believe it? And he looks at my mom, will you believe it if we pray? And my mom's like, yeah. And so he's, he prays for healing for me. And then he says, okay, I want you to go throw out all your medicine now. That is the dumbest thing ever said. You listen, when you hear people teach that way, that is not, that is not proof of belief. Okay? And, and what I want to point you to is who Jesus is actually speaking to in this instance. Jesus has turned to the disciples. He's teaching the disciples. He's teaching people that have already decided to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow the Lord. They no longer want their will be, to be done, but the Lord's will done in their lives. These are, these are the people Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to people that want to be able to write a blank check in faith. Sure, I want the new car. Yeah, I want the jewels. I want the fancy watch because I believe it. That's not the people he's talking to, these faith and prosperity teachers. He's talking to the disciples that, by the way, eventually will die for their faith in Jesus, because they do believe Jesus, they will be put to death and martyred. You certainly don't see in the disciples' early ministry or their later ministry a prosperity happening, not in the sense of the world that the world looks at prosperity. We don't see in the disciples' ministries jewels falling out of the sky. We don't see oil running out of books, some of these things you see on YouTube and whatnot. What we see is conversions We see disciples being made. We see beatings and persecutions. We see poverty. We see hunger and famine and shipwreck. And we continue to see disciples being made. That is the fruit of a good Christian. That is the fruit of belief. That is the fruit of faith. Disciples being produced. Multiplication. If you want to see fruit in your life, start multiplying. Start trusting the Lord. Obviously, we have the fruits of the Spirit given to us in Galatians. And those are our attitudes, our actions. But it will end in multiplication, duplication. Moms, dads, your children. Are you multiplying yourself? Training up a child in the way in which he should go. Youth kids, are you, are you trying to multiply yourself with your friends, duplicating yourself? Are you bearing fruit in your school? Are you hunkering down and hiding? That's the question. And, and that is what we see um, happen in the disciples. That is the prosperity that we're going to see from the disciples' side. So what about this whole teaching? You can say to this moving get, mountain, get up and move. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Well, truly, I say to you that 
There have been times in my life where I have prayed a prayer and have absolute confidence that Jesus, that God has answered that prayer in the affirmative. One time I walked into a hospital room and this woman was sick. She was dying. They, they actually asked me to go pray for her because they had no idea how long she'd had to live. So I faithfully said, okay, I'll go to the hospital and pray for her. And as I walked in that room, I, I laid my hand upon this woman. She was completely shutting down. And as I laid her, my hand down, before I even had words to say, all of a sudden I knew, Lord, you're going to heal this woman. And I prayed, Lord Jesus, heal this woman. Set her free. Have mercy on her. And, and I left the room. And uh, later on I get a call. What happened? And I said, I don't know. I just prayed for her. And it and, uh, turns out from that point she made a drastic turnaround she got discharged that night from the hospital. They had no idea what happened. What, what happened. I mean, I didn't see her stand up out of the hospital bed or anything. I just prayed and left. It was the work God did. It was what he wanted to do. And he wanted to use me as an agent. And that woman, who was a, a wayward, a, a prodigal child, came back to the Lord as a result of that. It was what God wanted to do. Certainly, I didn't look at a woman and, the woman and say, I got this covered. I can do this. I'm just going to somehow speak some power into her. No. This is what the Lord wanted to do. I was just willing to be his servant, to do what his will was. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, there's been times where I haven't known, and, and I'm just seeking the Lord's will. Lord, is this what you want? Because if that's what you want, I will do it. And that we see that with the disciples too. We see the disciples in the book of Acts seeking the Lord. Is it good for us to go to the Gentiles? We see them seeking the Lord and then responding in faith. Now, Jesus adds something to this, this passage about faith and belief and prayer. Verse 25, and when you stand praying. Now, let me just talk for a minute about prayer postures. In, in, uh, it was common in Israel when people would pray to stand with their hands up and pray. That was kind of a, a common prayer posture. That was a, a very well known. For, for those who would kneel and bow down, that was the, the really devout prayer posture. But the common prayer posture was this. Today, our common prayer posture is, you know, like that, right? Um, and, and I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter about the posture of the body, whether you're standing, sitting, kneeling, folding your hands. What matters is the posture of our hearts and our minds. Are we in a place of submission to him, belief that God will do what we ask? And, and so here he says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. There's another verse that as it's tied in with this other passage, we go, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> We've got to forgive, otherwise we're not forgiven? Oh, man, I'm having struggle with that. Am I going to lose my salvation? Well, I don't think it's about that at all. I, in fact, I don't think this is speaking about salvation forgiveness. In fact, often in the scriptures, we'll see the term sin or sins in a plural sense. Sin in the singular sense is that salvation sin. Sins in the plural sense or trespasses in the plural sense often are scriptures applying to our walk and our fellowship and our relationship to God. It's, it's something that will hinder that relationship, uh, that it will cause us to, to not be in the right relationship with the Lord. And of course, lots of commentators have said that this verse doesn't even belong here. It's, it's amazing what uh, really smart men can do with the Word of God. Um, 
you know, you know, well, this doesn't really seem to fit. It doesn't seem Mark in. So we, we, we think Mark wouldn't have put it here, da-da-da. And it's just trying to explain away why they, they don't have to explain this whole idea of forgive or you won't be forgiven. That's what they're trying to explain away. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, I can think of no better place to teach the disciples about forgiveness than just talking about moving mountains. Because in my experience with people and even myself, that it, forgiving people is about as impossible sometimes as moving a mountain. Because that's how it feels. Sometimes hurts have come against us. People have wronged us so badly. that it's. And I'm not talking about somebody cutting you off on the freeway. That, and by the way, that was me. I'm sorry. Um, I'll just tell you right now. I'm sorry. I, I'm a terrible driver. But... Uh, I'm talking about those, those hurts, those deep, deep cut wounds. Those things that are hard and they, and they continually trouble us. Every time we think of a person, it just brings up that resentment, that bitterness in us. Those are mountains to move. And, and I think this passage fits right in there with prayer, right in there with faith. Because it is a challenge for us. We do need to forgive because you and I have been forgiven and this is part of the fruit of being in Christ because he's forgiven us. I can go and forgive. There's been a couple times in my life where I've experienced impossible situations. Well, maybe they're not really impossible, but they're definitely impossible at first look. I'll never forget being in the Philippines. And my job, because I was one of the bigger guys, well, I'm always the bigger guy. But anyway was to carry a, a lava rock from a beach up to the construction site. And it was a, a long, steep hill, and it was muddy because it was always raining. So the first thing we realized was that you couldn't wear shoes when you were doing this job. Now, I don't have tough feet. And the, right away, I actually thought of Denisha Loya, who's actually here with us tonight. Because Denisha Loya never wore shoes when she was my youth group. I'm like, what are you, crazy? And it was at that moment I was like, man, I wish I would have wore shoes for a while. So I had tough feet. But anyway, we, we would have to heave these buckets of heavy lava rock because they were using them for the foundation and carry them up this muddy hill. And, I mean, it's hard enough to carry a big bucket of rocks and then and slip as you're climbing a hill. And your feet are getting torn up. Well, slowly, some of the youth kids that were helping us uh, would, would eventually go, my feet are torn up, I can't do this anymore, and so on. And eventually, it ended up being me by myself carrying this rock up and down. And, and it was just... An impossible task. And once I finally got the pile of rocks gone, a new pile shows up. And a new, a new chore with that pile. The pile didn't just show up. A boat showed up. And I got to swim out to the boat, get the rocks, and heave through the water back up the hill. But you know how I did it? I set the task in my mind. And I said, Lord, this is for you. I'll just go until I die. I'm serious. It was like, Lord, this is what you put in front of me. This is what I will do. And amazingly, we got all those rocks up to the top, one bucket at a time. And you know what? Sometimes with forgiveness, it's just, Lord, you said I need to forgive, so I will. And one prayer at a time, we will continue asking the Lord, Lord, help me not to hold bitterness against that person. One scripture verse at a time, Lord, I will forgive them because you forgave me my transgressions. Just one step at a time, one prayer, one prayer in faith, and believe and you will receive. By the way, 
Faith is not easy. If it was easy, it would not be called faith. Faith causes us to exercise our dependence and our obedience. That's what faith is. It will challenge us. But because he's our God, we will trust in him. Wonderful teaching. Wonderful teaching. And by the way, before you leave tonight, if you need a prayer about this, feel free to come on up and I want to pray with you. Or fill out a prayer card. We'll be praying for you. Because I know when we talk about issues of forgiveness, there's, I know in this room there are people that things are coming up. And, and it's bothersome. And it's uncomfortable. And we're already thinking of names. And I want, you to tell, I want to tell you that you can because Christ empowers you. His Holy Spirit, he's given you. You can do this. You just have to be willing to have faith and depend upon him. All right, let's move on to verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Man, it's so sad that here you have the religious leaders of Israel. These people that are supposed to be devout, dedicated to the Lord, who love the Lord, but yet are unwilling to even receive from God. They ask him this question. Now, now by the way, they ask him this question not to do him good. They're not saying, they're not sincerely coming to Jesus going, hey, um, so are you from God or not? Because I think you might be. No, they're not asking him that way. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. They mean to do him evil. I just think about those promises in Romans 8, 28 and 29. That all things work together for the, for the good for the, uh, for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Man, just think about that. When, even when people mean to do us harm or when harm comes to us, God will use it for his glory and your good. He will because he's a sovereign God. Today, right now, 2,000 years after Jesus was confronted by these evil men, you and I get the benefit of seeing what he taught, how he responded to them. You and I learn from it and we grow from it. So, and of course, obviously, we look at the cross. They did a lot of evil to Christ, didn't they? Yet you and I all benefit from that cross. So don't be so quick to, to throw up your hands and say, I give up. Don't be so quick to say, oh, people are being so evil, I can't handle it. Oh, I gotta, no, trust the Lord. Again, we're talking about faith and belief in him. Besides that, that's just a little side point. These chief priests come up by what authority? Well, you know, let me see your degrees. What, do you, what, what makes you right to be able to teach here? What, what authority do you have? Are you really from God and so on? They're asking these questions. 
And Jesus masterfully says, well, let me ask you a question. I'll answer you with my question. And he's not avoiding it. He just knows their hearts. And, and that's the question. Was John's baptism, for, uh, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? From heaven meaning from God. Was it given to us by God or was it just another thing of man? And notice, though, whenever Jesus is confronted with things, he'll answer from the word. Whenever the Pharisees are confronted, they answer from their own logic. They reason within themselves. And, and they start going, well, you know, if we say this, then it's that. Never once do they say, you know what, I wonder, was it from God? Hey, hey, we should probably seek the Lord. We should probably pray right now and ask God, hey, God, is, was this from you? Can you show us? Hey, let's get back into the Word and look and see. Oh, yeah, look at Malachi. It talks about uh, Elijah coming back and, place a, and, and he's going to uh, prepare the way of the Lord. Never once do they do that. It's all looking to themselves. I'll tell you right now, don't look to yourself for answers. In troubled times, look to the Word of God. Don't, 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 if you go to counseling, don't look to counselors looking to themselves. Someone who looks to the Word of God. If you need advice, go to someone who can look to the Word of God. That's where we want to go to, always to the source, to the Word of God, so that, that we know that these people are actually seeking the Lord on our behalf. So they, they reason within themselves, we don't know. And then Jesus says, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's like, it's, honestly, this is a booyah moment. It's like, <laughs> booyah, done. But he goes on to say this in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. Now, remember, a parable is a, is a, a story that has a spiritual truth that's hidden within the story. So a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and. And, uh, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to, to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eye. This parable that Jesus gives is, uh, there's no question about it, the Jews would go right back to Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, God is... Through, speaking through Isaiah is telling Israel why he's going to destroy them. And in Isaiah chapter 5, he talks about his vineyard, Israel, that he's planted and that he's taken care of. But instead of bearing fruit, Israel just produced wild grapes, grapes that were no, worthless. They weren't, they weren't good fruit. They weren't good to eat. They weren't good for making wine. They were worthless. They were wild grapes. And so because of that, 
God was going to bring judgment. So that's in Isaiah 5. Now, here we are in Mark. Jesus begins to speak to these people. And, and he says, he gives this story. A man planted right away the, the Pharisees that are there listening and, this, and the religious leaders go, a vineyard, Isaiah 5. They're well aware of it. And as he tells this story, notice that he doesn't just send one or two tenants or three, uh, or three servants to these wicked tenants. He sends multiple servants, and each one they produce the same way, or they treat the same way. They beat them up. They send them away empty-handed. Now, a landowner had a right to the fruit. It wasn't like today we, we, give, them, we give rent money, right? We, if, we, if somebody else owns our house, we pay rent or, and we give that money each week. But if you were to rent a farm or a vineyard, you would, you would every so often you'd produce fruit and half of that crop would go to the owner and then the half you would keep. But these people aren't producing any fruit in the story. We don't see any fruit at all being produced by them. We just see them occupying, squatting in the vineyard. And by the way, in the Mishnah, the Jewish laws, there is a squatter rights. So basically, if a landowner's heir died, the son died, then the squatters automatically get the property. And that's one of the reasons why they treated the, the, the landowner's son the way they did. But notice the patience and the mercy of the owner. He didn't come back with force. He didn't come back with the authorities. Never once did he come with an army and say, I'm taking back my land. No. Patiently, he continued sending servants. Just like God did with the prophets. Continually sending the prophets. And continually the prophets were met with the resistance. They beat them. They killed them. They sawed some in two. And you can read through Hebrews 11. But they said... The landowner finally said, okay, well, here's the answer. They'll respect my son. I read a story recently about the king of Jordan. It's an interesting story. You know, the, the king of Jordan is uh, an interesting guy. But one night in the early 1980s, uh, King Hussein was informed by his security police that a group of about 75 Jordanian army officers were at that very moment meeting in a nearby barracks plotting a military overthrow the, king, uh, overthrow the kingdom. The security officers requested permission to surround the barracks and arrest the plotters. After a somber pause, the king refused and said, bring me a small helicopter. So a helicopter was brought. The king climbed in with the pilot and himself flew to the barracks and landed on the flat roof. He told the helicopter pilot, wait here. If you hear gunshots, take off and fly away. Unarmed, the king then walked down two flights of stairs and suddenly appeared in the room where the plotters were meeting and quietly said to them, Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that you are meeting here tonight to finalize your plans to overthrow the government. Take over the country and install a military dictator. If you do this, the army will break apart and the country will be plunged into civil war. Tens of thousands of innocent people will die. There's no need for this. Here I am. Kill me and proceed. That way only one man will die. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just walking in there. All right. I mean, that is transparency on his part. And by the way, this is a true story. It's actually been, uh, the CIA has actually vouched for this story happening. But the transparency involved Look, I don't want a war. I don't want tens of thousands of our people dead. If you're really intent on this, here I am. Kill me. 
After a moment of stunned silence, the rebels, as one, rushed forward to kiss the king's hand and feet and pledge loyalty to him for life. That's the transparency. And that was the question, what will you do? That was, that was the king. All right, here I am. What will you do? We know what the king will do. And, and in, in this passage, in this parable of the, vine, uh, of the vineyard, the king continues to send servants. And finally with his son, what will you do? Of course, rather than pledging their allegiance, they chose to murder the son and the tenants. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Jesus poses that question. And what will your response be? Jesus says he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. After his mercy has been extended and extended and he's been as transparent as possible with you, eventually he will come and judge and destroy. And then he closes with this in verse 10. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. The cornerstone. The, the cornerstone. Go to Isaiah chapter 8 with me. And I think I have it up here on the, well, the screen is gone. Oh, there it is. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 13 says, But the Lord of hosts him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here in Isaiah, Jesus is, is making a declarative I am statement. He's saying I am God because in Isaiah chapter 8, there it's the Lord speaking saying, I am that stone. I will either be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. And God puts that same, that same uh, option out to us. What will you do? He'll either be a sanctuary for you or he'll be a stumbling block. You'll either receive judgment or mercy. Through Christ. You've got those two options. There's no third option there. There's no, well, what about my way? There's no option there. And so here Jesus in Isaiah, by quoting from Isaiah, he's saying, I'm God. Not only am I God, but I am that stone. I am the cornerstone. I am the most essential stone to worship. I, without me, you can't have church. You can't have religion. Because I am that essential stone building block. It, it either, you'll either stumble over me or you'll receive me and I'll become a sanctuary. This is the Lord's doing. Notice just verse 12, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had to, uh, told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. Amazing how this is one of the first parables that the relig- religious leaders actually understand. I all right, we think he's talking to us. But again, what will they do? Their response is not, all right, we missed it. We're here. We're listening. God, what do you want us to do? Their response was, all right, we've got to figure out a way to arrest him. They're going to stumble over him versus be received into a sanctuary. I believe Jesus Christ puts that same option, that same question, what will you do out to you? You know, there's... Many, many of the plans of a man, but there's only one plan that will work, and that's God's plan. God sent his one and only son incarnate in the flesh to save us from our sins. He can be your sanctuary. Sanctuary is an interesting word when you think about it. 
Sanctuary is a place that we call here to worship in. We, we, we come here and we worship and we sing praise songs. But sanctuary has another meaning too, that meaning of safety, a safe haven, a place to run to, a place where we can be secure. And I'll tell you right now, it is only through the work of Jesus Christ that your salvation can be secure, that you can know that you are safe from the judgment. It is through that work that Jesus did on that cross. But you need to receive him. What will you do? Will you receive the son or will you reject the son? Will you get in line with the, 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 the evil tenants who beat up the son and murdered him? Or will you say, no, we welcome the son. I want to welcome him into my life. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you give us your mercy, Lord. That even just tonight, sharing this story is an act of your mercy. It's another servant sent to the lost. And if you're in this room tonight, don't make light of that. Recognize that you being here tonight is an act of God's mercy and grace. Allowing you to hear his good news. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you, Lord, and find sanctuary. That you are the rock, the foundation of our faith, and you are unmovable. If you're in here tonight and you need to seek forgiveness, if you need that sanctuary, you just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I welcome you into my life. I accept the work you did for me on that cross. I'm ready to follow you. We thank you, dear God, for your faithfulness and your mercy. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to bear fruit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.